Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Oh, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's here in the middle of April already. Allergy season's kicking in. A lot of people got the sniffles. Tax day's Monday. Tax day's Monday? Hmm. Yeah. I forgot about that. Mine were done so long ago. You can't believe it's already the middle of April. I just can't. No, the the months go by pretty fast. My theory is once you get into the swing of adulting, then the first comes really fast because that's like when all the bills are due. So you sort of you start wanting to hold that off, and it just is on you quick. So the days just turn into the weeks, the months, the years. It's yeah. fast ride. I gotta say that's a pretty spiffy cap you're wearing. You there. like that? Yeah. 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 The new logo and everything. Do right? you uh, do you wear fitted caps? Do you I like do? What well, we're gonna have to talk after the show. Yeah, might, we'll hook you up. Yeah, there you go. I guess that's pretty spiffy looking. There. Yeah. Dan's been making people's day yeah. since Wednesday here, doling out the new Central Coast Lending yeah, uh, fitted ball. Be caps. one of the first in the community to have one. Here. Yeah, I love it because I'm allowed to wear baseball hats back to work that's again. That's not true. That's not. Oh no. <laughs> It's, but it's branded. <laughs> it is. Those are nice hats, though. Huh? And it yeah. covers up all my gray hair. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah, our ah. softball team's now one and zero with the new hat. Oh my god! What's your fitted hat size? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, I get one of those. Just one of the things you can add, adjust snapback. in the back. Yeah. yeah. That you can like add an extension to. Yeah, I think it's seven. <laughs> I don't know. Gosh, I, I would have to. Yeah. Right. Have to look. I got a few out in the car. We can we can hey. check it out oh. during the break. Yeah, there it is. The hat pusher over here. Yeah, there it is. See? Excellent. Right on. Talk my way into a cap here. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's new? What's the good I mean, word? Besides the hats, which is really the news of the week. <laughs> That's, and that is very exciting. New hats. Yeah. That's it though, huh? Yeah, you know, I feel like I kind of came, I was I was thinking about the show this morning and how uneventful the last couple of weeks have been as far as mortgage rates go. There's not a, not a lot of new things to talk about. Rates are just kind of sitting in this Pretty boring. Place. The 10 year has been stuck around 1.75 for a while now, you know, a couple ticks up, a couple ticks down, but it sits pretty, pretty consistently there recently. So mortgage rates haven't been very volatile either. They've been yeah. just kind of hanging out, which is nice. Gives you an opportunity <laughs> to, you know, lock a loan and do disclosures and all that without the market changing radically on you. So that's good. Still quite low. Um, yeah. Very exciting. I made, I made some notes for the show today, though. I see you've got some clippings. Did you get through all your stuff last week? I felt like we like ran out of time last week. I think so. All right. I think we did a good job. Let's see here. I got to find my... Uh... 
have a great filing system of where I keep my notes for the show. Mm. I type them up in an email as though I'm going to email it to somebody. And I just close it and it saves it as a draft. What do you think about that? It's, that's a good system. It's, it's very exciting. Oh, man. Oh, some bank earnings this week. You always love bank earnings. Aren't you like all poised to talk all about bank earnings? Sure, let's talk about it. Good, bad, or ugly? Several of the bank earnings that I saw, they're setting aside money and losing money right now on, on bad loans made to energy companies. Hmm. Yeah, we don't that. we don't feel an awful lot of that around here. Every now and again, I get to talking to somebody from somewhere else where energy is a bigger part of the economy and, and they're really struggling. Last night, I was visiting with a friend who owns a a vacation home in a town. That's uh, <laughs> was kind of funny. He said he had uh, listed his house, his vacation house for sale, and it's been on the market for 10 months. So what's the natural response to that? It's overpriced. Oh no, no. It's in a place where it's in a place where the uh the economy's kind of hurt because it's energy based. Uh-huh. So that ties in well with it being like overpriced. It's a funny thing. Um Yeah. At the same time, there are some markets that I think are slower than 10 others. Ten months? Ten months is a long time. I've I've got a family member who has a home up in north, very far northern California near Lake Almanor, and it's been on the market for quite a while. Not a lot of activity up there. There's a few homes that sell a month, maybe, huh. a quarter. So it's pretty low activity. So if you and want yeah, to be if, one of the ones that sells... If you want to have... you got to reduce the price. So I think in some markets like that, where it's more of a second home community, or I guess there there's some primary residents, but just not a lot of business, not a lot of residents up there, that if timing, your price and timing are really, they, they play, there's a correlation there. Yeah. In bigger markets... I think it's more just about the right price. That there's always a buyer out there in a bigger market. I think vacation homes are always tricky too. Yeah, um, that that's like the town where I grew up in Big Bear. It's largely vacation homes. I mean, like sixty to seventy percent of the total housing stock there has some some sort of less than full time occupancy. If it's people that go for the winter, or for the summer, or for the weekends, or make it part of a a vacation rental by owner type of thing. And and I'll tell you one of the things about a, a town like that is it it also makes uh, values pretty erratic. Mm -hmm. Like when there was the downturn in the economy, the local newspaper up there is called The Grizzly. And in The Grizzly, you'd, that's where you'd go. I'm probably now Craigslist, but that's where you'd go to see like, you know, things like the recycler or apartments or houses for rent. And it's usually like confined to like part of a page. And then after the recession, it was like the thing became like 30 pages of like rentals and lease option um, type of offerings and all these things as people like couldn't afford their vacation home anymore. And we're just really freaking out. And then everybody, of course, that was 
concerned or struggling or furloughed or laid off aren't going on vacation anymore. So um, that's, I think, just one of the risks to being in a, in a vacation area. Yeah, there's the Grizz right there. You pulled it up. I still go from time to time to see all the, you know, the local goings-ons. I mean, we even hear stories like that about homes near Lake Nascimento. Sure. You know, homes, even today, we'll hear about homes that are, you know, listed for some somewhere in the 300s that only a few short years ago were selling for 550, 600, 700,000. Well, hey, there's some, (laughs) I, I have a client right now that's like working on, finding the right buy up there, believing that everything's radically undervalued and when this lake fills up this year because of the El Nino, you'll of have course. A swing in demand, a oh, swing in Oh, man. Everyone will be up there with their boats and, you know, and if you, whether you were going to rent it or sell it or whatever, but the, the, you're at the right side, you know, you want to buy it when the lake's empty. Yeah. Kind of funny. It's, they got some good deals for rent up there right now. There's always good deals up there. Wow. You know what? I mean, there's a radio station in Big Bear, too, Jim. It's called K Bear. Check it out, K B H R. And uh, they, I mean, you'd be the star of that. They're not not used to talent like yours. Wow. Okay. I mean, I'll bet you 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 could go up there, take over the radio show. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing. And then, yeah, get one of these real inexpensive rentals. And I mean, just change your life. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Often I wouldn't mind being in Big Bear. That's for sure. No, it's no. it's pretty up there, but it's yeah. a whole nother beast, though. I was, yeah. When we were talking last night about like vacation town things, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that I went to high school with, like if you didn't leave, there's not a whole lot of opportunity there. Either work for your parents' business or somebody else's. Uh, but the next best thing is be one of the um, like the snowmakers or a like a snowcat operator that like grooms the slopes at night right so like you put that corduroy finish back on it for the morning um but those are just winter jobs right so then they would get unemployment for the summer and that's in part why some of these houses are so cheap is that that's kind of they're there's a fair amount of people up there that don't have a lot of money but uh then there's parts of towns of course that are it, it's getting pretty gentrified. They've got Mammoth Mountain, the resorts. They just bought the ski resorts in Big Bear and now are building all kinds of stuff. And it'll probably, that'll probably change soon. So, you know, hey, maybe you should go buy something there. Then when Mammoth gets done mansionizing the town, everything <laughs> will be worth a lot more. Yeah. On the flip yeah. side to some of these longer marketing times, areas where maybe there's, a little more volatility and marketing times might be a little more erratic. We're working with a couple clients who are trying to buy down in the Los Angeles area, different parts of LA. Um, it's crazy still down there. It's crazy with- still here. I wanted to tell you, I went and looked at a house yesterday. I really did. I got in a, in a realtor's car. We drove over to look at a listing that I thought was pretty good. This was a house in a Tascadero that um, was a four bedroom, which I'm like salivating over, not having to do an add on. I keep waffling on which one I'd rather do. So I go to look at this house. It came on the market. We see the listing. So, you know, I called my good buddy Wes, the agent, and said, hey, 
take me to see this house. So he calls up. They said it's by appointment only, but we better hurry because they were countering an offer. I'm like, you're kidding me. First day on the market, and it's like already like people didn't even get the chance to see it, and you're, you guys are already wrapping it up. That's pretty crazy, but it sounds like they're dealing with one offer. The Well, the, on day of, one, a yeah. A couple of the people we're working with down in L.A., they're hot on the on the trail for a home that first of all is somewhere under a million dollars for their brand new like three-person family wow. <laughs> it's like just a young family trying to buy a home in a decent neighborhood so for can, a million bucks so they can starter. raise a kid they want something less than a million you know somewhere in the affordable eight hundred thousand range Yeesh. and they're striking out left and right because when something fits their needs there's 14 people putting in an offer and you know half of them are all cash still this is stuff that we were hearing about in 2010 and 11 crazy. and it's still going on in some of these bigger markets luckily here in slow we're not seeing quite that level of Doesn't activity sound that bad but we're still we still have clients here locally who are striking out on properties oh yeah i i, I have my email up right now as i like look down my list i've got um, at least 20 people that are pre-qualified um, at like a, a greater than 60 day mark here. Like we got through all this paperwork part, gave them their budget and price range, and they've been out running the lap to find a house and haven't found one yet. In fact, every once in a while, you know, I, I'll email or call and, hey, did how's it going? Are you still in the hunt? Because sometimes somebody will get going with a a realtor and their realtor pushes them to another lender. And so then my two month old work is like, I make a phone call and they're like, Oh yeah, no, yeah, we're an escrow, but we're using someone else. It's rare, but it happens. So I follow up that way. And most of the time people are just like, no, nah, man, we're, we're still looking. Do you know of anything? Like, no, not really. I mean, everybody kind of has the same pool of stuff that we're all looking at. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy. We don't talk about commercial too much on this show. We're mostly focused on residential, but recently our lease for one of our offices came due, uh, or it, you know it's coming coming to its expiration date here. Yep. And so we started to survey the the different markets around around the county, and it's amazing how little there is available. It's slow is absolutely terrible there's slim pickings even outside i mean a tascadero paso robles paso robles is another tough area there are some things that are available that are just kind of not that desirable and the stuff that you'd be interested in um to, to operate your business out of it's few and far between that that there's quality property available it almost strikes me as crisis level yeah and in the commercial side it's wild and we're talking both i mean Things for sale, things for rent. It's it's very very slim out there. Well, yeah. It, not only is it very slim, but there doesn't seem to be like a, a lot of new opportunities arising, and it feels same way. Like during the recession and this kind of thing, I, a lot of the things that I saw, like even space and slow, like downtown slow, has just been turning into a. It's like a restaurant and bar corridor now. Um, I, I guess it's already, you know, 12, 13 years ago that we were our first office in downtown slow, but there was a lot more offices. There was a lot more office opportunities. There's a lot of little mom and pop retail. 
Yeah, and, and it's sort of just changing. Out. It's getting pushed out, and the rents down there, if you can do retail, then by all means, go do it. The retail rents are crazy. Um, That's why and, you're only seeing the big names anymore. Yeah, and then it's pushing a lot of businesses out towards the new airport area corridor, but that stuff being brand new is expensive. has higher taxes <laughs> yeah. and higher triple nets and stuff. There. So it's quite a bit more expensive. I mean, it literally strikes me as just... Um, it's borderline crisis, and I got to say that's not necessarily the right thing for um, a community like this, where oftentimes the discussion is around housing being unaffordable, um, and so then it it makes it harder to recruit and retain employees. But how about a lack of available space for new businesses or growing businesses, businesses that create those jobs and bring those people here and and create those opportunities? opportunities if those i mean we almost need uh we almost need like some policies to revisit what we're doing to foster more job growth opportunity in ways of vacant office space um instead of just only focusing on expensive costs of housing i do know like um and, and kind of on the topic here in Arroyo grande they're remodeling a center that's at grand and elm uh-huh i live in Arroyo grande so that whole shopping center is probably dated to the 60s and they're just updating it, remodeling it, and the rents are going to triple. Wow. So if you're paying, I don't know, $8,000 now, you're going to be like $24,000. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and when you think about it too, I mean, a lot of people don't really realize this, but Prop 13 protects uh -huh. business property owners too. So if mm -hmm. you own a commercial property, from the 70s mm -hmm. and you have a super low tax base you know for example or like this building um i'm familiar with in slow or the owner's mm -hmm. basis in this building is only like six hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars and then today it's a three million dollar building mm -hmm. so for him to rent it out with that good low tax rate he can give more affordable rents mm -hmm. If somebody new comes along and buys that building, the taxes go up so incredibly that the rents just have to go with it. So right. it's it's also kind of that thing, too, of each time one of these changes hands or undergoes a big remodel or even just a brand new build, mm -hmm. the, the taxes in there go through the roof. And that's, I think, one of the bigger drivers of, of why the rent increases. Yeah. Um, and also, um, oftentimes, is it creates a reluctance for these people to sell. Um, and, and, you know, that gets bigger into the tax code law, the capital gains rules and what they are in the, the current era or whatever, whether or not somebody's willing to sell. So a lot of these people just sit on these buildings because their, you know, their basis is so low that if they sold them, they would lose a bunch of money to taxes. So they just yeah. don't do anything. And, mm -hmm. um, I don't know it, it, but yeah, getting out there and looking around, it feels like a crisis to me. Um, probably more so than what housing looks like lately where similar though there's not a lot out there not a lot available um and sure are it seems like there are plenty of people that are out there looking for it um so kind of interesting mm -hmm. i've heard that that's the same case too with the foothill shopping center that that was uh, being remodeled too. That the uh, in San Luis Obispo. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I drove the, by it the other day. The whole shopping center's under construction. Yeah, and I've heard that their rents are going to double or triple. You talking about like the Albertsons Foothill one or the? Because they they recently redid the one where um, 
New Frontiers used to be. Yeah. Because that was like a Bank of America building Mm -hmm. that sat vacant for like a decade. Yeah. Yeah, Wasn't it? By over behind Carl's Jr. where uh, Hurley's Pharmacy was. Yeah. There's a, is it Gold's Gym? I'm not sure. If it's it's a Club 24. Club 24. Yeah. yeah. So there's that whole shopping center that's being mm-hmm. remodeled. And then the one across the street at Broad and mm-hmm. and Foothill is also being remodeled. Yeah. That whole side of town, basically, all the big shopping centers are being remodeled. Which maybe they need. Maybe they need the face. Yeah, they're both but older. The, but know, it's going to impact the cost of, the, yeah. of renting those spaces. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. So it seems like things are getting more expensive. <laughs> when do you see that push over into the... I mean, it's an inventory issue on both sides, both residential and commercial. It's it's due to so doesn't that lack make, of options. Doesn't that make it surprising that you're not seeing greater increases in like um, the producer price index and the consumer price index? Is things are just getting more expensive? Well, I think I think rather than opting, I mean, yeah, there are some businesses that have no choice but to take these higher priced commercial um, spaces, but the the existing businesses are probably choosing to make do with what they have, even if it doesn't fully meet their needs. Um, feel like we're kind of getting pushed into that with oh, our yeah. office location. I'm not afraid to say that. Our, we're we're totally like making the safety play of not losing the space not that we have because there's homeless. not a suitable replacement. Yeah, it turns out it's hard to run a mortgage business without an office. Yeah, sort of a critical component. A, a, People like to a see place you at to your do, desk yeah, and... place for your employees to sit and yeah. push that paper. Yeah, um, there were. Uh, oh, you had the beige book this week. I'm sure you guys talked about that. So exciting! Yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite colors, actually. Is it? I mean, it's in the logo, so it wouldn't surprise me. Oh yeah, isn't it? Well. Kind of not the not the new one not the the four it's color more version of a brown or we have brown uh, we have two different versions one's got more gradient texture to the mm-hmm. the logo this one's just the standard four color yeah but did your, you your shirt's kind of a beige yeah, this maybe. is green dude oh maybe I need to say. <laughs> okay in his maybe defense so you're sitting in some natural light while this big fluorescent thing is uh, uh, skewing oh, yeah. everything. <laughs> Um, but truly, though, did you clip an article about the beige book? I we didn't talk clip about an article, but I did. Um... You can be summed up pretty quick, usually, huh? Yeah. See yeah. here. Uh, it's moderate. Growth is moderate. There How's you go. For a quick summary. <laughs> Consumer spending is described as moderate with construction and real estate uh, continuing to expand as they should and need to, as we just discussed. Uh, the labor market is a plus it's continuing to grow and let's see here factories where activity is um, increasing described as increasing price pressures are low so that's nice that's where we're still seeing lower inflation low unemployment appears to be spurring an uptick in wage growth that's cool i mean we've been waiting for that for a while yeah yeah, all together, kind of a snoozer. The beige book comes out, and um, it doesn't. It doesn't always have a, a market moving impact. Sometimes it. Sometimes it can. It's. It's kind of what we call like the the second tier data. But uh, it did seem like after the beige book came out, um, 
there was a good demand at a 10-year auction. Nice. That was like the biggest effect. Hmm. Very exciting. Well, hey, it's already break time. Would you looky there? I'm looking there. You were all relaxed. You like had yeah, your feet kicking up. Kicking back in my chair, chair, you know, feet up on the console almost. Yeah. Time to Maybe. sit. Time to sit forward and launch us into a break, Captain Jim. <laughs> there you go. You got to cla- You got to, you know, change it up with me here a little bit once in a while, Jason. Yeah. All right, and uh, I don't know. We'll look forward to whatever clever thing you bring us back from this break with, and uh, <laughs> be prepared to judge you by it. So get that creative hat on. Guys, we're gonna be uh, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna be taking a quick commercial break here. When we get back, we have more mortgage matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games, I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. So you call me the captain, so I'm going to put it on Star Trek and the captain of the ship. I thought that this... I don't want to notice there's no, like, uh, voice of the captain here. Kind of sad. Well, I'm hearing it right now. Yeah. It's you. Oh. Captain Jim. 
There it is. <clears throat> yeah. We're going to take this show where no one has gone before. There you go. That's there it is, huh? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't watch a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. There it is. I mean, I know it was a whole thing, and people liked it and oh, stuff. It's a big You're into it? Yeah, more of that than Star Wars. Star Wars was cool, but uh, tra- Star Trek, yeah, that was the thing. Oh yeah. I think I was just a little bit young for Star Trek. Yeah. Like it was when it was big, I was little and eh, it kind of lost it with me when it got like Deep Space Nine and <laughs> Captains and all that. But, but the original and the Next Generation, oh yeah, hmm. big time into that. It's kind of like the Walking Dead of our generation. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> all right, let's see here. This would have been the time that we would have welcomed our guests into the studio, but our guest is um, still in the green room after getting caught signing autographs out front. (laughs) Be a couple more minutes. So we can Uh, stall. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see, though, was Wes... I I know when you go to um, the Keith Bird site, the Slow County Homes, and you can see all those little things that tell you days on market and values up or down or whatever. I know you can go do that, but I'm not nearly as efficient at that as he is. So I'm, I'm thinking that we'll have him do that. We'll save that. Tell us, tell us what's going on. Save that for the expert. I really do though. I, I see listings around the County just seem to be going through the roof. Um, price per square foot just, seems like it's competing with itself um but yeah we'll we'll save some of that commentary when uh mr burke gets here what do you got over there dan i'm checking out some of the price indices the producer and consumer price going up a little bit Uh, yeah ever so slightly we had core consumer prices up 0.1 percent Year-over-year, it's at 2.2%. But then that's not even the one that they that that's used for tracking inflation. The core consumer price index, which seems like it should be. The core is mi- minus food and energy. Yeah, but there's another reading of consumer prices that's the one that's actually tracked for inflation um, measurements. And it looks like it's year-over-year gain is at only 0.9% and moving down from February. The March-to-March reading is is a tenth lower than the February-to-February reading. So huh. that's, the, that's the one that's tracked um, for inflation. That's the one the Feds reference when they're talking about their interest rate policy and their, um, you know, basing their, their decisions on is this other consumer price metric producer prices like other inflation gauges have been weak due largely to soft demand around the world and a sharp decline in the cost of oil a soft demand around the world that's that's a bummer that's one of the reasons why we care about what's going on with uh you know, the overseas markets and right. whether they've got extra money, if they stock market is doing well, if they're everything's on track, those 
it's those foreign purchases that also matter here. So when that demand goes soft, the producers here have trouble making money. It's the whole thing about Saudi Arabia. Did you see about in the paper this morning about because of September 11th and they're going to sell off, they, they're threatening to sell off their American assets and stuff. And Oh, goodness. Yeah. But it was in the paper this morning. Maybe I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. I didn't yet. Dan's our newspaper guy, so I, I usually get it like later that day when it yeah. hits. Yeah, the, uh, the, the newspaper's having trouble making it to my house at a reasonable time. Lately. I'm having that same issue. And I complain this... to the Tribune, and there's no yeah. change. About four days a week, it shows up between 8.30 and 9, which doesn't work for my schedule. Yeah. And so I'm not too happy about it. Well, sometimes I'm not even getting it until like noon. Yeah, it's pretty house. bad. It's, ridiculous. it's the morning paper. It should be showing up at about five in the morning. Speaking no, of late arrivals, <laughs> if uh, if you heard that little gentle breeze across the microphone here, that <laughs> was Wes Burke, uh, a.k.a. Viper, sneaking into... Viper. Look at him. He's not so much Viper if you're Look at him. the noise. You <laughs> <laughs> can be my wingman anytime. Yeah, there it is. I like the sunglasses. They're made for Radio West. That's, yeah. Uh, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Put mine cool. on, too, and see if it, like, gives us a whole... Uh, Look, they're both do, mirrored, though. Now do I, I have to bring us back with some Corey Hart after the next break? I wear my sunglasses at night. Oh, okay. okay. Because I thought you were going to do the no. cheap sunglasses, and no. friend, uh, these are not cheap. Those are not cheap. Those are probably <laughs> no. like $300 that, that, that would sunglasses be ZZ on this guy. Cheap sunglasses, <laughs> but uh, maybe we'll get Corey Hart after the next break. Well, welcome, bud. How you doing? Thank you. I, it's, I'm doing great. I, I would have been here, in here earlier, but your um, groupies mobbed me in the green room. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, and ever, ever since El Dorado. keep that down. Yeah, yeah. They, they've been trying to reduce expenses and things around here, so they got rid of security and, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Also got rid of the Keurig. Now it's just Folgers. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. Um. You got here. Are you all connected? <laughs> connected to the interweb, interwebs, and ready to talk? Yeah, I'm. I'm getting there. I mean, I was listening to you guys before I came in, and you were talking about inventory, so I wanted to pop up some some stats about uh, local inventory. But I'll need a minute to do that. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I wanted to know about that and know what prices are doing. I read last week, um, Case and Schiller Home Price Index had. Some parts of the country here experiencing double-digit appreciation, and I just wondered if that's happening here. And uh, surely there's at least one part of the county that's winning in uh, home price appreciation. Well, we're definitely seeing appreciation, and it is definitely a um, part of the lack of supply that you guys were, were talking about. Um, currently in in the county, the median home price is five forty nine, and that's the it. Same time last year, it was five hundred. That's why it. is that? So that that seems like a very different number than what the Tribune publishes. Is I, it a different source? Um, what what are you seeing from the Tribune? Do you remember? Um, I'm trying to think. I th I think I brought it in a week or two ago, and it was maybe the February reading was like. It was, I, I want to say it was below 500,000. Well, I'm not sure where the Trib gets their stats, um, but I'm getting them from the most reliable source. SanLuisObispo.com <laughs> has buyers and sellers. Okay, the median home price. What can you buy around Slow County? 
And this came out on March 21st. I think this is the article that Dan clipped then. Um, surely they cite their sources, though, right? I think it's CoreLogic. Um, they didn't... Oh, my... Limited supply is a huge issue in the San Luis area, said Wes Burke, owner-broker of Patterson Realty. I'm not making this up. There, You're right there being quoted. Where? In the Tribune for this article that was published. Let me make sure I got the year right. Oh, no, that's March 21st, 2015. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Now, what, what number did they publish for March of 2015? Uh, the median home price in San Luis Obispo County is four hundred fifty-four thousand five hundred. See, and you have five hundred. Yeah, five nineteen. I've got well five. I've got yeah five includes um, the very few number of REOs and short sales. So normal inventory, excluding those, was five nineteen seven fifty. But five hundred in two thousand fifteen when you lump it all together. And that's for all the entire county. Correct. Interesting. That's a very big difference. Now here here's a difference. This is single family residences only. Oh, they definitely take into account condos. Condos, yeah. PUDs, um, and, and all of that. So okay, yeah, this is this you're all over this article. I mean, and. How come you were so more? You were much more relevant a year ago. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to take it easy these days. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Last week we were talking about condos, though, and um, what's been going on with the pricing on condos. Well, I can tell you that in 2015, the average price for condos in the county was 370, and this year it's up to 405. Wow. That seems like it's outpacing the other segments of the housing market. Um, a little, a little bit, yeah. But that typically happens with condos. You get um, condos get hit first in a recession, and they get hit a little harder than stick built or single family, and they uh, recover. Typically, a little the, there's a little lag in the recovery on condos as well. So, I, I think probably what you're seeing is some catch up catch up in that market but you guys were talking about um the, the inventory and so i'm just going to give you some examples in january of 15 we had 3.2 months of supply which is how many do you know um it's roughly uh, 888 listings across the entire county okay um, in that month, there were 364 new listings, 225 sold, and 278 went pending. What was this date? January of 15. Okay. So the beginning of last year. Yeah. And now we have um, 2.3 months of inventory. Which is 600 um, it's, listings? It's 984 listings, but... The um, number sold and the number pending is way up. Okay. So it makes the um, it makes the the number. So the new listings are being digested quicker this year than they were last year. That's exactly what this tells us. Doesn't sound like it's heading in the right direction. If you're somebody that's not enjoying the rising price of housing. That's true. Crazy. That's true, and I and I think that that. Combined with um, the threat of interest rates not staying low forever, uh, motivates more buyers. Well, and interest rates are lower today than they were a year ago. And so I think that that's part of it, too, is that plenty of people 
kind of get that. There's a buzz, like a sort of electricity around interest rates. And it's the funniest thing, too, is we see it. It's highly influenced by the media. I can't tell you how many times I get an email from, you know, a current or past client that says something like, uh, oh, I saw in the paper that rates are really, really low right now. And they're like an eighth lower than they were a couple months before. But the media can really get people like going on believing that that there's this crazy opportunity with this new drop in rates. So maybe that's probably at least part of it, that it's cheaper this year than it was last year. Um, financing is cheaper. Home prices are not. Correct. And I, I think that motivates buyers that have you know been kind of waiting and watching, and, and it forces a lot of people off the fence. And we see um, an increase in inventory this time of year. Generally, there's just a seasonal increase in inventory because people transact you know, in the spring and summer more than any time of year. But um, it is being absorbed. And we're, we're seeing, just like you guys were talking about, um, lots of new listings hit the market and they, they sell within a day or so. And, and in fact, I wanted to take this opportunity to um, offer a bit of advice to your listeners relative to listing properties in this climate. If you've got a nice house in a desirable area and you're going to price it reasonably, um, then you might want to contemplate a strategy of not reviewing offers for some period of time to give the market an opportunity to get familiar with, with your home and to shake out all of the interested buyers rather than jumping into a transaction with the the first guy that happened to be able to get in, view your property, and write an offer. That does not always um, lead to the highest and best for a seller. And we're seeing that strategy implemented by a few good agents, some in my office. In fact, they'll list a home and, and give the market seven or ten days um, to get you know people to get through to get into it. I mean, people have jobs. You can't always just drop everything and go look at a house the minute it pops on the market. Hmm. So that's just a little tidbit of advice I have for sellers. You know, contemplate that kind of strategy and be sure that all of the willing and capable buyers uh, that might be your audience have a chance to participate. That I do think is great advice for a seller. When you're a buyer, it sucks when you find a listing and you really want to write an offer on it and you want to you want your speed to be that to be a, a compensating factor more than the fact that you're just willing to pay more. And then once the seller sits down and starts lining you all up and goes, Okay, I got this this guy here on the ends full price. Who wants who wants to go above that? And then you're like, Oh, come on. You know, so, so someone who can drop what they're doing and go view a property at any time. Sure, yeah, <laughs> that 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 should be rewarded in a market. That it's called, um, you know, like in the in the sales world, they always talk about measure the motivation, measure the mo. Um, if you can't get out there right away and go look at it, you're just not that motivated. That's not true. That's, <laughs> you're not that not as motivated as me. Take my offer. I'm first. Well, that, that is the way that, that most of the inventory that hits the market, is it's played out that way. Most of the agents and sellers don't have a window there where I they... I don't want it that way when I'm buying, but I, I will do it that way when I'm selling. Yeah, and so because a <laughs> lot sure. of sellers out there um, don't play it that way, as a buyer, my advice is 
find an agent that's willing to deliver tools and resources and information to you that allows you to participate in an aggressive manner that way. For example, all of the all of our clients have a- access to uh, a new listings report that that we produce and it's updated every 15 minutes. So clients that are really hungry and really ready to jump on things, I'm they curious. can refresh their computer every, every 15 minutes and see every new listing that hits them. I feel like market. I've asked you about this before, but um, in a market like this, wouldn't it be cool if you, like, when you marketed my house, like, you, so you, you take your cool pictures that you guys, like, make the lights look brighter than they really are and make the sunset more bright cotton candy-ish than it's ever been. Um, you do all this stuff to make it all really killer. Um, how about a little blog there on that site where you just start logging the offers? You know, oh, man, we got an all-cash guy, but he's looking for an 8% discount. You know, what do we got here? Oh, here comes an FHA guy, and he's he's more. But, like, wouldn't – isn't there some place in the market where, like, dropping some of this, like – secrecy around the well there's an offer coming so you're going to want to tell your client to sharpen that pencil and be quick but then you're going to have the price is right scenario where everyone's outbidding each other by a dollar <laughs> you know you're not going to you can truly set get minimum bid increments you're not going to get you? someone's highest and best offer nobody's ever attempted this model though <laughs> well I, I not as far as i know with the blog but personally back before the recession hit and the market was red hot I experimented with that strategy. I had sellers, and with their agreement, we were transparent um, to about all potential buyers about the offers that were on the table. And it gets really complicated really fast. And this, Why? Well, because people people get upset, and they don't um, – it's when you've got 10 or 12 people trying to buy a piece of property – and you don't have something like an, an online blog where everyone can go and see it on the sure. per minute basis. Real time. It gets difficult to keep everybody in the loop appropriately about the changes in all of these different offers. And often at you know, at the end of the at the end of the charade, the seller chooses an offer and signs it and the deal's done and then you've got a handful of buyers or agents out there that say, Well, why didn't you tell me we would have gone higher? Yeah, so technology could could uh, bridge that gap for you. Today. Sounds like those people without the great technology just aren't as motivated, right? Or, <laughs> or you just need to start a group text. <laughs> hey, if you want to put in an offer on this house, get on the group text thread, and we'll let you know. Yeah, so, I mean it's really it's an auction strategy. You know, it's it's really what you're doing is is auctioning the property. And I could see in a down market though, where things aren't that hot. Like the blogs just crickets and somebody just comes in and goes, I'll give you, you know, 15% less than your asking price. And then nobody responds to that. And so then it like, then it's a public demonstration of like a general lack of interest in this property, which could potentially be harming. Well, and it, it, it breeds strategies to, to contend with, with these approaches. So for example, um, one one strategy that we see occasionally is a buyer will submit an offer that is, um, say, $1,000 above any other highest and best offer. So it's called an acceleration clause. Whoa. And we see those sometimes, but that gets tricky too, and it doesn't really work as well as some buyers may think it does because 
usually when we see those acceleration clauses, there's a cap. So it'll say, I'll give up you $1,000 more than the highest and best offer up to some number. Then other buyers in this, you know, trying to win in this strategy when things get kind of strange, um, they will submit with their offer a confidentiality agreement. So in oh. order to contemplate their offer, you have to agree not to share the terms and conditions of that offer with any other buyers. So all of these things are lead up to uh, my personal philosophy being that it's best to not disclose to all the other buyers what the other offers are. You create situations that just get really difficult to navigate. And then, you know, a seller may pick a cash offer that's 10000 and another offer with a loan and the the agent and the buyers that don't win in that scenario may feel like they didn't get a, a fair deal so it's it seems to to be better to just kind of leave it as a, a confidential scenario and and the buyers um, are kind of forced into a situation where they have to submit their really their highest and best and uh, i think in as a buyer in that kind of scenario you just have to Except that, you know, you put your best offer forward, and if it's meant to be, yours will be the one that that gets the get gets the deal. But um, otherwise, you gotta stay on the hunt. Looking forward a little bit, three, six, twelve months. Do you see this climate changing very much? No, I don't see any reason that uh, there's nothing out there that tells me inventory is going to increase to the point that it's going to tilt this supply and demand equation. Um, in, I do. And what is it? Well, there is one thing that's going on. I've been on reading we'll lately about, about this new thing called Planet Nine. Have you guys checked this out? Nope. Okay. Jim, Planet Nine, have you seen this? I have not. Oh, what are you guys... What's going on here? Hmm. Um, there's a planet... It's like nine to fifty times the size of Earth. Oh, okay, okay. And it's yeah. on a twenty-seven million year orbit. And this April, twenty sixteen, is the twenty-six or whatever million uh, year lap where it get it. They think this is like the the wipeout of uh, human race, basically. Oh, so, that's great. Oh, so, you know, so we just got like two more weeks. Yeah. Planet Nine. I mean, go read about it. NASA's talking about it. Well, um, Planet Nine could could definitely change the <laughs> could be real a game estate changer. market. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to take a while to get through planning, though. I hear they're pretty tough out there. <laughs> the one thing that's happening that's an anomaly in San Luis Obispo proper oh, is yeah. um, wow. There's some legitimate news sources on this, by the way. You got to get past the ones uh, where they're saying that we're all going to die for sure, and then just read a little bit more objectively about the potentiality of just this listen to coast to coast tonight on right. kbec yeah, i'm sure they'll sum it all up wes you were saying <laughs> the um in san luis obispo proper we're seeing an a real impact on this rental inspection ordinance D dan you and i did a, a whole a whole show on it or no maybe i did that with steve weiss on the congleton show sorry for the confusion but that's right nonetheless um wait a minute you're we, doing we other you have talked about the rental inspection issue yeah and i've yeah. been on other radio shows too <laughs> you're not better than me um we're seeing an increase in in inventory in rentals coming on the market because sellers don't want to have to deal with this inspection ordinance. I've noticed that. A lot of homes oh, it's in the, the slumlords. So you're going to shake those guys out first, the ones that are shady and they know it? 
Um, it's happening. I mean, it's, some of them are not what I would call shady. So, for example, we listed a home recently, and um, it was a, a single woman who's owned the investment for a number of years. The property is exactly like it was when she bought it in terms of the um, the layout of the property, but there's, there is a room in the home that was not permitted, and it's absolutely built to code. There's nothing... Um, threatening from a health and safety perspective, but she knows that if the city comes in and inspects that, um, there's a, a likelihood that she will have to go back and retroactively permit that space, and it will cost tens of thousands of dollars, and she simply doesn't want to go through that, so she's put the home on the market. And investors that have a tolerance for these kinds of um, <laughs> scenarios are really going to um, see an opportunity over the next you know, 60, 90, 120 days. If they're willing to buy a home that needs some upgrading or has some permitting issues and they're willing to tackle those issues, they're going to have an opportunity in this market to, um, to buy while there's an increase in inventory and it's a little bit more of a balanced equation in terms of the, the buyer's and seller's position in, a, in the mix. But that sounds, so we're talking about the entire market. That sounds like a small segment of the market for maybe a short period of time where there might be more balance. Well, it, it is, is, and it's not, and it's a small segment of the market only in San Luis Obispo right. proper. So it's a very small segment. And, and those, I mean, same thing like that gal though that you're describing that's ready to, to offload her property because she's... Um, you know, got some illegal space or whatever, however you want to term it. Part of that is that also she's probably just got to be going sweet. You know, if she's on this thing for a number of years, she remembers when it was worth 800 grand and then it was worth 500 grand and now it's worth 800 grand again. It's like, you know what, this, I'm going to take my chips and, and go to the cage. So part of it is just probably, you know, the, yeah, it's a little bit of a nuisance, but it's also a fine time if you're a seller to take your money and run. Well, that certainly is going to, yeah, the, the market values are going to allow some of these um, investment property owners the ability to get out whole or even make money. So sure, that, that expedites the decision, I'm no doubt. And so that inspection ordinancing, that's all the real deal, huh? There's the, that's it's done. We're not there's no more I don't debating believe it's it. done. I believe there's more fighting going on. And right? nobody's to to suing it. yet? I, I, that's where I think it's gonna go. But you know, this the city obviously has attorneys on staff and they've looked at this in other communities and they believe that it's a defensible ordinance. Um it it's it certainly has a large portion of the real estate community up in arms and, and I think for good reason. I'm not a fan I, of that. I, I want to talk a little bit more about this when we get back from the break. I'm dying to know what the unintended consequences are going to be in the end, ultimately. Um, but that sound there means that it's time for the top of the hour commercial break here. So we got a few minute break. Grab yourself another coffee. You've earned it. We'll be back with a whole nother hour of Mortgage Matters. Stick around. tuned into Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. You guys want to talk about minimum wage? 
Now, I want to have a, I have a follow-up question to our line of discussion that's not the rental housing. It's about okay. demand. Because I saw demand. this cool thing about the main labor union that pushed that minimum wage got an exemption? I answered no to your question. Okay. <laughs> I thought that'd be fun. Don't you guys want to have fun? No. Right. <laughs> so You want to talk about rental housing? No, I, I want to talk about... The, the the supply issue we're seeing in residential housing in this county, I asked the question about three, six, 12 months, do you foresee a change in this equation? And you said, no, maybe in a small segment of the market, yes, but in general, no, not much change. We're going to still see short supply, a competitive buying market. So I want to go out even further, three years, four years, five years from now, Let's say that rates will actually go higher. I've pre been predicting it for two, three years now and been wrong. Um, but I believe it's going to happen here. I believe that three years, four years, five years from now, we're going to see rates getting back to their historical norms, which is a 6 to 8% range. What do you always tell your agents, too? They're going up, like, sh dramatically? or <laughs> um, Quickly and dramatically. Yeah. So I'm seeing... Three, four, five years from now, if rates are higher, we're going to see during the next one, two, three years, a home still rise in value because of this supply-demand issue. Um, so we're going to have higher values, higher interest rates. And by that time, I believe we're going to start to see some of the new home developments that are in the works finally become marketable properties. What do we see happening with values and demand at that time? Do you think that things at that point will eventually start to level out where we plateau in pricing? Well, it's clear that the real estate market is cyclical. We will have another downturn. What I am what I believe will happen is that the next downturn will not be anything like the housing recession that we just saw. In fact, when I moved to San Luis, they were, we, the, the market was just coming out of a downturn. But what happened then was basically you saw real estate, you saw the market soften, you saw inventory increase, you saw the number of transactions decline. You slowly saw an erosion in value to the tune of three, four, five percent a year for about a two to three year period. So cumulatively, you lost, you know, 15 percent max, maybe, maybe 10 percent. And that's just a lot different than the last recession where we saw anywhere from 25 to 40 percent reduction in value. And it happened very rapidly. But during that same period, though, people had a 25 to 40 percent artificial affordability with these crazy loan products and doing interest only and negatively amortizing loans. So that helped create a more radical inflation than was ever seen before because in those years leading up to the recession where we had 15 20 sometimes 30 percent a year appreciation in a in a particular part of the market i mean that's not normal either right no it's not and and i think that the fact that the money that's out there now is is smart money um, people can afford the loans that they're getting that will help us um, avoid a radical, you know, bubble, so to speak. Um, 
But I think that it's it's interesting when we start talking about this stuff because you know I I listen to a couple different economists, um, especially in the real estate segment of the market, and they all are are preaching right now that we've got another good three years of of good strong healthy appreciating markets, and um, and I I tend to agree with that. But what I also acknowledge after doing this for um, long enough to see a couple cycles in my career is that usually what causes a downturn is something that's unpredicted. Planet nine. Not a whole lot of people figure out, hey, you know, we're about to have a housing recession because of X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, it, it usually kind of surprises us. So I'm not sure what it will be, what what it could be, but there's, you know, a it's world. probably going to be if Trump becomes president. That, that could do it. I'm just kidding. I didn't mean that. You guys don't email me. I don't, I don't care if you want him to be president or not. <laughs> that I just could wonder, change some things, though, right? It could. I just wonder if at some point the affordability becomes so low that, you know, there's just a cap on how high home values can go. Because if rates are going higher, that alone makes things less affordable. If prices continue to appreciate for the next one, two, three years, that makes things less affordable. Unless we see something happen in wages, there's a, there's got to be a ceiling. Well, you would think so, but we're, we're certainly um, in brave new territory right now in terms of affordability. Affordability is lower in California than it's been in history now. It's lower than it was before the last recession, and it's problematic. We're not seeing the um, levels of, of new construction is simply not enough to keep pace with the demand, and afford, the affordability is under constant pressure. And there's some really interesting things happening around the state of California because of this. For example, we um, are doing – last year in California, the number of real estate transactions was the same as it was 30 years ago. The state population has more than doubled in that period of time, and the number of transactions is is the same. And that's because we haven't increased inventory enough to keep up with the number of people that are moving to the state. And that's, you know, it's all a part of this uh, supply and demand imbalance that we have. So I hear what you're saying. It, it Logic would say, hey, there's going to be a point where affordability just changes the equation and there's not as much demand. And then the sellers that want to sell are going to have to start lowering their prices to find the buyers. We may get there. I don't know if affordability is going to be the, the trigger or if it'll be something else, but we'll definitely see a correction, although there's really nothing to indicate that it's on our immediate horizon. I guess one thing that I, I should consider and that we should all consider in this discussion is other types of loan products. You know, we haven't we haven't seen adjustable rate mortgages really play any kind of significant role in the volume we see. It's, I mean, what, in the last eight years we've done less than 10 adjustable rate mortgages yeah like, <laughs> so I, those could come back and help create you know maybe but rates have to go higher first right um right. And, and i suspect and assuming my scenario five years from now when we're at six to eight percent fixed rates maybe the adjustables are still in the four percent range and then those and then maybe with the yeah affordability issue. i can get behind way of thinking i i got a guy that's all hot on the adjustable rate track so i did a bunch of work on it the last couple of weeks it's only like a half a percent less than the 30-year fixed. Yeah, it's not enough to justify going into a riskier product. And there's other creative models that we could see that would, you know, help 
fix or bridge the affordability gap. Like, for example, of 40, how about a 40 year mortgage? Yeah, I love that idea. I love the 40 or 50 year term as a stepping stone, getting a toe in the market for a first time buyer. And then they build equity and then they, you know, move up to another home where then maybe their income has also gone up and they can afford a 30 year mortgage. I mean, it happens all the time. I personally, I've used it uh, on investment properties where I'll buy an investment property. I'll put a 30 year mortgage on it. I'll own that property for a few years, um, save some of the cash flow, and then refinance it into a twenty-year shorter term. Yep. You know, so you maybe I own right it now. for three years, but then I refi it into a twenty, and then I'll own it for two more years and refi it into a fifteen, whittling that down so I'm getting a better a better chunk of the equity and appreciation. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why a forty-year mortgage isn't already a product that's that's in the marketplace. And I think that it can be done uh, arguably more responsibly than adjustable rate mortgages. I Agreed. mean, those create real risk for the borrower and a 40 year fix would not create that same risk. I mean, obviously it's going to have um, an impact on their enjoyment of, or their realization of appreciation. But like you said, it, it's a way to get into the market. It's a, you know, it's a entry level tool and I, and I don't see it as the same risk as, as adjustable. So I, I think that, you know, hopefully when affordability gets bad enough, um, and frankly, I think it already is, but we'll start to see some of these, you know, different creative approaches. I hope so too. We, we spent nearly an entire show a few, maybe a month ago talking about the longer term fixed rate mortgages and how they could really be a great solution. It's, um, I know there's concern on at the federal level that it's saddling someone with debt for long periods of time. And that's what we want to avoid. But history shows us that people don't keep a loan for the full term. Right. I mean, most people don't, maybe it's going to change now when we're in a rising interest rate environment, but most people they their family unit changes their income situation changes they need to move out of the area there's reasons life happens and they have to change their economic situation one way or another whether it's moving whether it's refinancing due to situations that change and it's not the norm for people to stick with a mortgage for the full term of the loan. Wes, were you listening a couple of weeks ago when I shared that Sweden had recently created a new law limiting mortgage terms to 105 years? <laughs> no, I didn't hear that. True deal. They were like getting to an average of 140 year mortgages uh, where, so they're totally multi-generational and people just sort of lost touch with the desire to ever pay them off. I, I started to kind of, you know, after that, we talked about that a bit on the show, and I started thinking, I, I I tend to agree, but I think you still have to, you still have to figure out how to tie it to um, somebody's motivation or need to do it. Like almost, like today, for example, if you're going to get a reverse mortgage, you got to go to the HUD counseling, where they make sure that you really understand what you're doing and why. Um when you roll out a product that greatly increases affordability like today that didn't exist yesterday i think immediately there's going to be a bunch of people that take advantage of it but the thing that i worry about is that if it just becomes the new norm then it's just a flash in the pan and now hey look everybody's back to that same ratio of the new affordability led to higher prices because it increased marketability. And now everybody's at the new higher level with the new longer term and in the same 
boat that they were in before. And and that's the part, I think, that probably when this stuff is being looked at on the Hill is they say, that's not the trade-off for the increased interest costs as opposed to what it saves you monthly is just not enough to warrant allowing this um, on a wide scale. But I could see how doing things, and I wouldn't get on board with your speculative investment by using the something of the longer term. I would err it more on that side of, um, for example, let's take the affordable housing people. Um, when we look at these developments and the, we build new houses, we mandate that so many of the units in the new project are affordable housing to the, to the very low income people. Um, how about those? Those people are really hard to qualify. And most of the time they need that house the most. Like they, they those house payments are lower than the average rent in town. Uh, why don't we get creative there? Like, okay, so the city's got this silent second with a first rider refusal and all this clever stuff. And it's really hard to qualify those people into something they can afford. Why not look at something like that? Like, hey, look, you're getting a 50 year term and instead of the builder selling it to you for pennies on the dollar, they're going to subsidize the interest that you have to pay to make your payment more affordable so that this longer term doesn't ultimately just cost you more in interest. But that's where the offset becomes. I think there's some, there's some other way that we could use longer terms by making sure that it's helping the right people in the right circumstances uh, with a little bit of oversight, perhaps a counseling program with like a required certificate or something. There's got to be a better way to implement it so it doesn't just become a tool for people to just be gluttonous on their, you know, the whole way they handle their finances and then arrive in the same boat again. I, I just don't understand how – a a 40-year versus a 30-year mortgage is, is going to have the negative consequences that you're I've got implying. An, I've got a response to that. What we saw that really led to the big downturn in housing in the last eight years or whatever was the hairdresser who was an inexperienced real estate investor owning six investment properties. And then when times got tough, we were talking about it earlier with second homes. When times get tough... You let go of the things you don't need, and you don't need investment properties. You don't need second homes. You're going to retain your primary residence. So incentivizing people to make riskier investments more affordable probably isn't the right approach. I like the idea of maybe limiting it to um, primary residences. That makes more sense to me. If you're going out and buying a luxury, which is a second home or an investment property, it's not a it's not meeting basic needs. You don't need an uh, an affordability tool to help someone acquire their fourth and fifth investment property because the only way they can do it is a 50-year loan term. But you don't want to get reasons, that concentration of ownership in a, in a fewer number. One of the main reasons to buy an investment property is for the cash flow. I mean, there's really two, two approaches. In San Luis, a lot of people buy uh, betting on appreciation, but around the country, a lot of investors buy simply for the cash flow. And a 40-year mortgage changes yeah, the cash flow equation me, in a very positive way for the owner. But it's riskier. It poses me, a risk to Let the me market. help you understand, though, a little bit about the math that's going into this. I'm going to use $100,000 as an example and a 5% interest rate. The monthly payment on hundred grand with a 5% interest rate for 30 years is $536 a month. Okay. 
for 40 years at the same interest rate, and we'll talk about that in a minute because they're not the same rate, they're more, um, but at the same rate is $482 per month. So you got a change of about 50 bucks in payment. Okay. Which is 10%. The total of payments on the 30-year loan is $193,000, and the total of payments on the 40-year loan is $231,000. This is about a 20% difference in interest cost for 10% improvement in cash flow. But I got to go back and, and challenge your thinking one more time. I If you come to me for a loan, shorter term loans are always a lower rate than a longer term loan. It's less risk to the investor due to mainly pressures like inflation. The longer I got to guarantee this to you, I need a higher rate of return because inflation is my enemy. So a 40-year loan is typically more expensive than a 30-year loan. So if you go back and run those same metrics on what the true cost would be like, for example, if the 30-year was at 5%, the 40-year is going to be at five and a quarter. So on those same numbers at $100,000, the monthly payment, again, on a 30-year is 536, on a 40-year is 499. So you eat into some of that savings with the additional interest. The total cost on that then goes up to $240,000 over the 192. So there's a there's a trade-off problem in the cash flow, the overall cost. And what you're suggesting is that the impact of that is minimized by a strategy that doesn't have you in it for the full term. And, and that I'm okay with. I understand that and that some people just need that foot in the door and then some other option. Um, I said this on the show last time we talked about these longer terms. As long as the government's out here regulating who can do what and who has to do what and what forms need to be used, it should be a law that everybody gets, when you get your mortgage payment every month, your servicer should tell you, hey, here's your payment if you want to get Get done in 15 years. Here's your payment if you want to get done in 20 years. Here's your payment if you keep going at 30 years. And these are the total of payments to keep it for like that forefront of mind that these are, what are my goals? Am I trying to get done sooner? I'd love to save $180,000 in interest. I can afford that. I don't need to buy a brand new car. I need to send more mortgage, you know, more money to my mortgage. Um, but so anyway, th there's a decent argument to be made that it's not it's not much more affordable. There isn't the crazy benefit to the buyer. But that being said, I still do think that there's a potential place for it. Um, but again, one of the problems here is that we've got this super low rate, and it creates a problem in a variety of ways. When you talk about things that might happen where housing might people's sentiment might change over housing and begin it eroding. Um, I mean, part of that, I think, is just rate. What if rates are 8%? Can all of these people afford the $550,000 median uh, house here in slow at 8%? I guess not. It probably, you know, those houses probably have to come down to 500 so that everyone can afford them again. Um, that just might be a part of it. And then at the same time, if there was that bigger spread, that introduced the opportunity for an arm. You know, maybe you get an adjustable rate loan that is amortized over 40 years. So the adjustable rate payment could be much lower than the 30 year payment. 
but and also amortized over 40 years and then those people have um you know there's some plan for that some something that they're doing or some point by which that stops it begins to gradually increase there's some other creative way to do it right now i think we're just sort of stuck where our economy seems like it can really only support a 4% 30-year fix, and we don't know which way to go, and housing just keeps getting more expensive, and there's not a lot of room for rates to go up. I mean, that, that I think, is the biggest fear of, of most of the investment community is that we're like, what do we do now? We're addicted to these low rates, and we have this housing shortage that's crisis level because we didn't build for so long and we made it so much more expensive to build now that it's just more expensive to buy and we need rates to start normalizing but they're they just can't seem to kind of crazy yeah no i mean you make good points and and i think that's that's all valid and it's one of the reasons that i love working with you guys is because i think you go through this process of educating your clients so that they really understand the consequences of of their actions in a in a full and appropriate way rather than just you know taking a look at well if we stretch this thing out you're gonna your payment's gonna go down you know you need to you need to really understand the consequences but i i still think that it's uh, a reasonable strategy that sh that could be looked at as one tool to battle this affordability crisis that we have but i do think it's going to be an issue for us for long um for a while yeah Interestingly enough, most of the conversation around the barriers to entry to, to home buyers and um, it, it, it doesn't even seem that much of it is at the core about the affordability as much as the down payment issues. I see all of the energy come into down payment, you know, lowering down payment requirements, coming up with down payment assistance. You know, doing things like the USDA and in certain areas, it, um, it's always about the down payment. It doesn't seem to be about the strategies to decrease the, the cost of carry once you're in, you know. Have you guys seen um, lately, I mean, I know a few years ago it was starting to get legs, but those like the buy-down loans where you do like a 3-2-1 buy-down. So for... It's like for the first year, the you buy down the interest rate 3%. So if you were going to start at a 5% mortgage, you really do start at a 2% interest cost. And it's because you're sort of paying points. And then in the second year, it's 2% less. So it's 3% of the five year. In the third year, it's 1%. So it's 4% of the five year. And then in, the, in that fourth year, it goes to its normal note rate of 5%. That, that's a product that's available today, by the way, um, and I suspect it's like just not been marketed very well. I mean, I'm a mortgage guide. You're one of my best friends, and you're looking at me like this is the first you've heard of this. Um, I just don't really understand what what that solves. What well, what it solves is, for example, you could have somebody that's got... Um, that's stretching a little bit into a house and in you know I, I don't know that it fits in this economy yet because oftentimes one of the strategies is that the seller would issue a credit to pay for it so the the seller then issues a credit where the buyer gets these three years of gradual increases in their mortgage payment where it comes up to their long-term fixed rate um, so it creates like an affordability that way the point is there's just other little clever things that help shape, you know, that affordability or, or getting a first time home buyer up to speed 
Because what happens after that fourth or fifth year, and I'm a prime example of this. I mean, I bought my house a little more than three years ago with a minimum down payment loan. And I was able to just refinance recently into a loan with no mortgage insurance. So imagine if my rate was like stepping up into that time where my equity was growing and then I was able to get rid of my mortgage payment right as my interest hit its long-term period. That's sort of a kind of a way that a strategy that you can help get somebody into a house in this climate today, though, I don't think very many sellers are going to entertain paying a buyer's buy down cost. No, they're not. And frankly, that that whole thing kind of um, reminds me too much of the creative financing that we did Agreed. that got That's, us in all this trouble. I, I mean, can't it's help stretching but think that either. And it's one thing when you're in a, a market where interest rates are declining but looking forward it seems like we're in a market that's going to only go higher and so you will get hit with this step up in payment and not have an option to necessarily refinance into something more affordable if rates go up well i hear you definitely i mean but one of the things is you you still qualify at your actual note rate and in today's scenarios where i mean you, you still are talking interest rates that are just sub four percent um, you would get like a, a two-year reduction the first year, one year, one percent reduction the second year. The, it's it's kind of a nominal amount, and it's not that it's it's not that it's adjustable in nature. It's just sort of that the interest is being prepaid to build you up into what your normal payment will be. Um, and again, you still qualify at that the the full normal rate. Um, yeah, that that product does scare me it it's something where if what happens if your plan doesn't come to fruition a year at each of those different step periods then i mean did you have to do that because that was the way you could afford it, it well your rate's still the rate you would have gotten today yeah but wh then why not just pay that rate from the beginning if you could afford it it seems like the only reason to do it is because you couldn't afford it I don't know. I, that's my thought. It sounds like something riskier than just something that's got a static payment for the entire term of the loan. Um, Wes, I know that you have to get going, and we really appreciate you stopping by. And this was a very fast hour, it felt like. Maybe yeah. it's just because we're getting older. I don't know. Where are you going? <laughs> I'm going to show property. Property? Yep. What kind of property are you showing? I'm showing, um, I have two clients. My first uh, this morning is in uh, Arroyo Grande, and I've got um, first-time home buyers, and they're, they're looking at uh, stick-built houses. And then uh, a little bit later on today, I'm showing a, somebody that, uh, well, let's say a mutual client, um, investment properties here in San Luis Obispo. Sweet. You should really do that because maybe if Wes sells these properties, you can write some more mortgages. I'm always looking to do that. Yeah. So yeah. You go, I got my right? eye out all the time. I'm looking out for Wes over here, too. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> all right. Well, I have my laptop with me today. So if you need any uh, pre-qual letters, just let me know. I'm, I'm here and ready. Will do. Hey, Wes, how can anyone get a hold of you if they need your services? Uh, call me direct, 801-7061. Send me an email at wes at wesburk.com. That's go, Burke with no E. Burke with no E, yeah. Go to PattersonRealty.com. Call the office, 544-8662. Cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun. Thank you. Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> MySpace. Yeah.
Instagram, <laughs> Snapchat. I've removed my headset. <laughs> All right. It's time for a commercial break. Does that mean break? you can't hear me, so I'm going to keep talking to you? It's time for a commercial break. And, uh, hey, we'd love to hear from you. If you're out there, you have a question or comment, call us at 543-8830. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. guys welcome back the counting crows i love mr jones it's a great song yep a kid that i grew up with that i like a lot wrote a song that counting crows covered really called untitled love song it was just a few years ago hmm. you're supposed to go on tour with them but then something happened yeah i've always liked that. them i don't see that in the library 
When I was younger, I thought they wrote that song, too, about um, paving paradise and put up a parking lot. Oh, no, that's Joni Mitchell. Yeah, but, you know, the Counting Crows covered it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then I thought that was their song. Mm-hmm. No, Joni Mitchell. I know I know that now. Mm-hmm. Of course, I ran into an old guy like you shortly thereafter that hey. told me where it came from. Hey. I'll turn your mic off and let Dan do the rest of the talking for the rest of the show. Here. Don't, don't you threaten me, man. <laughs> when I got here this morning at 9.01 and I looked up and I didn't see Dan's truck, yeah. I thought, uh-oh, is he going to be here today? And then I was like, it's next week that Dan's not going to be here. And I was like, maybe he forgot. No, he was trying to get gas so at the started, gas station uh, with no pumps. It's the next next week. Oh, whatever. Anyway, I had this one minute fantasy. I was sitting (laughs) in my truck out here, like, what if he forgot? No, he didn't. And then. And then I'll just have to go in and tell Jim it's a rerun. And then, like, I'll just go get, like, a coffee and (laughs) go do something else. Oh, wow. There's no way I'm doing this alone. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, Westbrook. You did it alone one time, didn't you? That was the hour, though, right? An hour. I've not done two hours. Would you go for two alone? I've thought about it. That's crazy. It's, it would be tough. It's hard to talk and think about what your next topic's going to be while you're talking about your current topic. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very, it's very hard. Yeah. Like I bet the dudes that do it, you know, like they for example, yeah. Uh, or, or they've got multiple computer screens up and then yeah. someone just feeding them well, their they topics. Also, they also have people that are not on the air looking stuff up. Yeah, that's what I mean. People so, that are just uh, yeah. pumping them. So content when we do it going. alone, that yeah. is like very challenging. So we don't have all those bells and whistles. We so. don't have anybody making us look good. No. Yeah. Just, We're just, just making ourselves look good. You and yeah. your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. and these, these airwaves. Dave Ramsey has a whole staff of people. Yeah, it's crazy. Just on his show. Yeah, yeah. We do a pretty good job here. That was a fun conversation with Wes. Yeah. It really did fly by quickly. That was um, enjoyable, informative. Good, uh, good intellectual thought there about the future of housing, and I think it really just highlighted the issue with housing is th- there's a supply issue, and it's not a new topic, but that's that's really the crux of it all. If you, um, one of the things that I I like to do, I do most every day, is I go to to westburk.com, and um, I just look at. When you go to that homepage, you get like a search where you can go in and custom search the inventory. Um, I'm not that interested in that. But if I go, my favorite is the new listings report. It's like the center link at the bottom of the page. The new listings report. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I pay attention particularly to a Tascadero and, and um, you know, then, then kind of cruise otherwise. But it's interesting to see, to watch these new properties hit the market. And then you see, because at that first glance, when you can't even see a picture of it, and all you really see is a price, an address, a price, and a bath and bed count, um, you start to get, you hone in pretty quick to like the price per square foot. And my impression of this lately has been, um, at least in a Tascadero, is that the price per square foot's kind of going crazy. It's just on a race, getting more and more expensive all the time. Um, so again, if you guys like watching new listings, that's a great place to do it. I mean, it's the the listings every day that come on, and and you can watch, you know, just your own little area if you want. Um, for example, 
like you know if you live in avila or care about avila you can just watch just what listings pop on in avila beach they're listed alphabetically um but it's a it's a pretty cool resource this is uh, a way to see what's new um what's coming available in your area we have a phone call did you did you say it's greg astle i did <laughs> it's greg astle Okay. Most yeah. important tea in real estate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Four, two, three, Greg sold, man. Astor. This guy's also got the most memorable phone number in real estate. <laughs> Great. That's right. Good That's morning. The most important tea in real estate, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Jason? Yeah. You were, you were the one that coined that phrase. <laughs> oh, yes. Because on the radio yeah. here, I it's very important to enunciate. The, and this the is Greg <laughs> Astle. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think I've... You don't think I've been getting that all of my 64 years? I can only imagine. Yeah, can you imagine the fir first grade, because I was in the, of course, my last name starts with an A, and it also sounds like a, a body part. <laughs> imagine I, it, it, the embarrassment started at an early age. Uh, but you're just the nicest guy. Well, you know. Very friendly. Al always so upbeat, uh. happy, polite guy. Oh, shucks. I knew there was a reason to call in today. <laughs> All right. Send your 20 bucks. We'll talk next week. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thank you. See you, Greg. So, hey, I've got a, a question. We're talking about, uh, I enjoyed the uh, what I heard about the last 15 minutes with Wes. Did he hit the road? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he's okay. off to sell houses. Good. Good for him. So am I. I'm working today. Yeah, awesome. I've got a couple of questions. The first one is, you know, we've talked about over the years that, you know, someone with a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage can benefit by making an extra payment or even two if they can afford it every year and consequently pay off their loan in a substantially uh, shorter period of time, right? Oh, yeah. Here's my question. <clears throat> Let's say you get into the habit of paying off, uh, you make two extra payments per year on your mortgage. What happens to your payment schedule? Does your mortgage at some point is it going to get? Is your payment schedule going to get reset? They no. don't. They don't. Um, but there is the possibility for that to happen. And if, um, for example, you would call your servicer up and you would request a recast. And so what they do is. Um, and, and by the way, some most of the loans that we're making today, we're using this one particular investor that we're having a great relationship. And they'll ah. allow this to happen um, up to five times over the term of the loan. And, and this can happen, like, let's say that you sell that, like, you know, that Cabrillo Heights mansion over there. You make a monster commission and you just want to send this $20,000 payment to your mortgage. Um, right. you, as long as you send at least 10,000, you have a $10,000 reduction in your uh, principal, they'll then recast the what the payment is uh, for the, the existing amortization term. And so uh. it can lower what's minimally due every month. But that's sort of a, a special accommodation. Not all banks will do that. Um, but yeah, if you're in that habit of paying extra and you've done it to the point where all of your extra payments have you $10,000 ahead of your amortization, mm -hmm. then you could call and request a recast. And I, by the way, 
This is what a lot of loan modification departments did before the recession. <laughs> they worked on things like this where somebody's got, you know, wants to modify their loan in some way for some reason. Um, modification then turned into this really detrimental derogatory term of like your right. big bad problems with your mortgage. But um, yeah, but as a rule, though, if you don't request that recast, it doesn't. It, your minimum payment stays the same as whatever it was when your note was originally printed. And yeah, you're going to pay off a lot sooner. Paying one, in, one additional mortgage payment a year typically shaves about seven years off of that mortgage. Um, and I'll tell you a couple things while we're on the topic, too. And I guess just because I, I like to talk. Um, Banks used to love. Never noticed that, Jason. Yeah, banks <laughs> used to let people do buy like bi monthly payments, and for the most part, they've gotten off of that plan. Uh, bi monthly payments, where you paid like half the mortgage payment on the first and half the mortgage on the fifteenth, and carrying mm -hmm. that lower interest, you know, that lower principal each month led to lower interest, accelerated the loan payoff. What lenders do today is when you make half the mortgage payment, they put it in like a side holding account. And then when the other half gets there, they apply the complete payment. So if you're one of the people doing that, know that you're probably not getting the benefit you think you're getting. And there's ways, there are strategies to sort of get them up to speed on what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. And yeah, making those additional payments does um, accelerate the payoff of the loan, greatly reduces the interest that you ultimately pay over the life of the loan. So that recast option then that you just uh, you know you just uh, summarized that is based on the specific lender in question. It's not a Fannie Freddie. Correct. It's not. It's a servicer issue. Yeah, it's a servicer okay. issue. And I've actually polled a number of our investors on whether they would entertain that, and I was surprised to find out that most of them would. Um, sometimes, you know, you would have to contact them and maybe pay a nominal fee, 150 bucks or something just for the, the paperwork trouble. But most of them were, were open this, to that idea. And here's another great thing about this, Greg, since you're a real estate agent, um, you see this happening where people are straddling two properties. Like I need right. to, like, let's say I'm selling my house, uh, in Morro Bay, you know, but I still have a, a two or $300,000 mortgage on it. Right. And it's going to sell for 700 grand. And I'm going to buy mm -hmm. this house in Cayucas. That's a million bucks. And I don't have the, the, you know, I only have two or $300,000 to put down. You can put down what you can and then sell your house. And then when you get that, um, you know, another four or $500,000, you can then throw that to your current loan and get a recast that prevents you from having to do two transactions. And, and uh -huh. not a lot of people realize that they'll go ahead and do a purchase loan transaction and then they'll come in and, and ask to do a refinance transaction. Of course, when you do two transactions, you got to get two appraisals, you got to get two title reports, you got to get two escrow fees, two of everything. Um, so understand. Understanding that a recast is something that the majority of servicers will do. It's a pretty good a good thing to know about. Yeah. But said, you don't a hear valuable, a lot of... A valuable piece of knowledge for 
borrowers to understand and they have in their arsenal of knowing that they can make that extra payment or even two and really benefit themselves. Yeah, definitely. Well, and when you're self-employed too, where you have those um, kind of ebbs in cash flow, where sometimes you're going to end up with, you know, months where you don't make that much and then other months where you really do, if your focus is always lowering your monthly nut, then you can sort of give money over to your servicer with some confidence that at some point you can have that thing recast over again. It's only over its remaining term, but it will lower what the minimum is due so that if you come into a soft spot in the economy or slow times at the job, you'll have a lower minimum due than what you would have had if you if you never played the recast card. So I, I don't think yeah. it's a bad idea at all. Um, sometimes you have to pay you know, a $100 fee or whatever for them to recast it for you, but I think in the end it's worth it if it, if it buys you that um, lower payment. Uh, for the day that you need it, you know, and ideally you'll never actually have to need that. You'll always be on the path of being able to pay more than what's required of you, but you never know, man, life gets funny sometimes. Yeah. I have another just kind of observation and just get your guys feedback on this. You, we've been, you were talking with Wes about the, you know, the shortage of inventory right now and how, you know, that, that is the, the place where we are in the current cycle that we are in. And, uh, you know, having been in this business a number of years, um, I know that uh, the cycle is about to repeat itself again, and we will eventually hit a point at which uh, things will change for one reason or another, and our current up- upward journey is going to come to an end, whether it be because of interest rate fluctuations or Lord knows what. But I guess my question for you guys is this. When I got I got in this business way back in 1978, and at that time, uh, mortgage rates were between 105 and 11%. And back in those days, and that was the norm. Everybody was like happy to pay. You know, so you got 10.5%, you were doing well. And everybody was talking about the good old days of 8%, and I was going, oh, yeah, we'll never see that again. And then, lo and behold, the late 90s come around, and all of a sudden, rates start dropping like, you know, like lead. And now, here we are in the environment in which we're in. Do you guys really see us, do you really see interest rates at some point in the future, whether it's <clears throat> immediate or not too distant or distant future, where rates might go back up into the 8 9 10% level? I feel like if that happens, it's going to be because like the I mean, you hit that like stagflation, terrible economy. You know, everything's piss bad, and you just can't beg somebody to invest in something like of a American debt or or a mortgage backed security. And if that happens, the high interest is probably going to be the least of our concerns because we'll be in such a terrible spot that we'll just be in bread lines or something. So no, I don't think so. Um, and you know, honestly, I I think about that all the time because I see these guys, um, you know, what I, I won't name any names, but there's a couple of like, um, classic examples of this in my life is when I first got into this business, you know, years ago, it wasn't 1978, by the way, that was the year I was born. So feel old about that for a minute. Um, 
But these guys that rode that refi wave down from the 14, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, and now they're, um, they've hit their like retirement age. And so they're, they made all this money just by almost dumb luck of being in the loan business during the last 30 years. And then there's, there's guys like us that we didn't make anything off of the huge downturn and and all we're told is to to position ourselves and contemplate when rates are working back towards that um and i just sit here thinking there's not a whole lot of room for it you know we and again like you saw the feds raise rates in december for the first time in nine years and it caused the price of mortgages to drop so um, I mean, not only is that proof that the feds don't dictate mortgage rates, but it's also proof that the mortgage-backed security is a very highly valued uh, investment out in the market, and that's both domestic and abroad. People love buying uh, the U.S. mortgage-backed security, and that's one of the things that's holding rates low. So um, you'd have to see runaway valuations in most assets to see the mortgage-backed securities have to go compete keeping a higher rate to attract those investors that just flock to it currently that just hasn't been changing so um you know i'm going to take an opposing point of view here i i believe that rates historically hover in the six to eight percent range and i do see things going back to that level it was only a you know less than 10 years ago that rates were approaching six percent the normal 30-year fixed rate was five five and a half percent not too long ago um and then it was the housing crash that kind of forced the hand um, of the fed to to cut rates and and bring them back down to try to try to cleanse the market if you will but i think going forward there has to be a higher interest rate it, it, I just, I don't see, uh, you know, a scenario necessarily where things have to get, you know, there has to be these economic disasters in order for rates to go higher or stagflation or things like that. I, I see just a normal increase once we get on the path of full employment, which I don't think we're quite there yet. I, you know, we're getting, we've got a, a low unemployment rate, but we don't have people fully employed in the sense that they're working to their full potential, earning their full potential wage. Once we get closer to that, then I think the economy can bear a higher interest rate. There's going to be more disposable income out there and, and people can afford a higher rate of interest. I, I see it happening, but I see it five to 10 years from now. Um, mm -hmm. But once the Fed gets on that path of more consistent rate increases, they move pretty quickly and and it you know it'll happen fairly quickly when when the economy is a little more healthy i guess my concern is you know and those, i i appreciate your points of view i guess my my observation and and concern is that should interest rates uh, begin to return or return to that, you know, six That's to eight percent pushes or, values or, down or higher level. Yeah, then all of a sudden, the uh, the mortgage borrowing public, who is so used to rates where they were, not only used to it psychologically, but used to it from the standpoint of their bank accounts, their borrowing power effectively could be reduced by 30, 40, even 50%. Hey, well, look, and this I is just... the exact conversation we were having earlier in the show when we talked about 
what might solve that problem rather than keeping rates low rates rates could still go up but then we might see the extended term mortgage you know we're right. we're advocating for a 40 or 50 year term loan we might see adjustable rate mortgages come back into favor give you guys an idea i i punch in some of these numbers while we're talking we said early in the show that the median home price in slow is 550 right now so i put in a four percent interest rate $550,000 house with 20% down. That's a 440 loan amount. At 4%, that payment's $2,100 per month. If that goes to 6.5%, which you suggest is closer to normal and possible that we head there, that payment is $2,781 per month. That's a lot more than $2,100 a month. And what does that translate to? What would the what does the purchasing power change to in order to keep those things on track? Um, that $550,000 house, um, again, keeping that, you know, trying to keep to that payment of $2,100 a month, that's equivalent to a $425,000 house uh, with with 20% down. That's what the payment then on that one's 21 and some change. So it, mm -hmm. it takes somebody that just the shift in the interest rate takes you from being able to qualify for a $550,000 house down to a $425,000 house. And, and yeah, that's part of it. But here's the deal though, and this is what we're seeing today. Will people still be able to buy at that? And are they showing up in a, in a, in a way that trumps the inventory that's available? And somebody could have suggested a few years back that when we were in the interest only adjustables and negatively amortizing all the crazy, no down payment loans we had with stated right. income could have said, Hey, there's no way you're going to get the median price back to 550 when everybody has to fully qualify for a 30-year fixed. The other wild so. card in this equation is the status of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac being in conservatorship now for what eight years or so. Mm -hmm. If I mean that in itself has an impact on on rates. And what might happen with them? Yeah, if if that status changes, that could have an immediate impact to the rate market. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of other factors in there. Greg, we got to set you free, man. Real quick. Yeah, you, gotta go right. Right okay. you got 20 well, seconds. You go talking to you. All right. Bye. bye. <laughs> um, always great to hear from Greg. Uh, hey, guys, we're, we're running out of time here on the show. So I, I want to again and just let you know um, the, the people that we can help today. Uh, first of all, rates are lower today than they were last year at this time. Um, really even two years ago at this time. So it's a great time to check in. If you think you need a refi, if you think you might need a refi, um, if you have mortgage insurance, if you've got an adjustable rate loan, um, there's a variety of reasons why you might just want to call and touch base, find out if there's something that we can help you with. Um, I hope you get the sense of it from the show here, but what we really want to do is do a little workup and evaluation of what you've got going on and then give you the straight talk about what it is um, that you might be able to do or the reason that you would do nothing at all and stay put. Um, you can get a shorter term loan. You can get a lower interest rate loan. Uh, we can get rid of your mortgage insurance. There's a lot of different reasons to just call and check it out. The number one number rings all of our offices. It's 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Or you can go to the website, get familiar with us there. We're at centralcoastlending.com. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Wes, for coming in. We'll be back uh, next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters.